Welcome to Grand Central Radio, the grandparents' community platform. I'm your host, Jerry Cole. This is a talk, listen, and act show for grandparents and future grandparents everywhere. My adult child, that child's spouse and in-laws, and my two young grandchildren give me lots of questions and concerns. Like you, I want to be as effective for my grandkids and their parents as possible. To achieve these goals, I also want to stay physically and mentally fit and have fun. We can help each other by sharing our challenges and ideas about grandparenting and our lives as grandparents. You can replay our shows, find stories and songs to hear and read aloud, lists including the Ultimate Grandparents Emergency Babysitting Checklist and Sitter's Memorandum Form, and other materials curated especially for grandparents, and contact me, Jerry Cole, on our secure website, grandcentralradio.com. One of the persistent challenges to a devoted, caring grandmother is the transitioning from her mother-daughter relationship to a mutually respectful, fulfilling, serene, and even joyous relationship between a grandmother and her daughter, who is now also a mom. Another of those challenges is bonding and nurturing such a relationship, not only with grandma's daughter, but also with grandma's daughter-in-law, the wife of grandma's adored son. Today's discussion topic is relationships between grandmothers and their daughters and daughters-in-law. Informed by our special guest, Dr. Bessie Fletcher, a retired banker, now a clinical psychologist, ordained chaplain, magazine publisher, and live radio and television talk show personality focused on bonding relationships between mothers and daughters through their intra-conversations and honest conversations, and both grandmother and great-grandmother. You will hear on this podcast Dr. Bessie's personal views on this topic. Those views do not constitute the views of any of her publishers, sponsors, syndicators, or affiliates, or any legal, medical, psychological, or other advice by her, me, or Grand Central Radio. We encourage all listeners to discuss with their mental health and other advisors and counselors their particular concerns and difficulties that may require professional intervention. Dr. Bessie Fletcher, thank you for joining us on Grand Central Radio. It is my pleasure, Jerry. How are you doing today? Uh, we're doing great, and we're great and thankful to have you. I'm grateful to be here. <laughs> Dr. Bessie, after completing your Bachelor of Science in Psychology, Master's in Community Economic Development, and Postmaster's Studies in Human Resource and Counseling, and working many years as a banker before attaining your PhD in Christian Clinical Psychology, Theological Degree, and Ordination as a Chaplain, When, where, and why did you discover your interest in the mother-daughter relationship, and what events and persons in your life and your family's lives led you to that focus? It's broad. Um, I'm an only child, and as a mother and daughter, of course, you know, who else? There's no competition. Um, So we had a very close relationship, but I was also close to my dad, so I got my entrepreneurship from there. But I always thought that mothers and daughters had the same relationship that I had with my mother. Uh, even though years later, I found to that I was a yes daughter because, you know, in the era in which I was raised, it was yes, ma'am and yes, sir. So during those years, 
I had this bond with my mother that she was my best friend. I, it wasn't two years later when my mother passed that I was spiritually connected to this voice of mothers and daughters and what I want you to do to minister to mothers and daughters. And that started my journey. I thought it was a very easy journey. I thought, oh, wow, it's nothing to it. At that time, I was doing corporate training and traveling across the United States from one corporation to another and doing corporate training. And I'm just assuming that this is my plight in life and this is what I'll be doing. And then all of a sudden I got asked to do this workshop. Uh, I thought it was a workshop. So I created the workshop. I was up in um, Manchester, did the workshop in Tewksville, uh, Massachusetts. And I thought, well, I'm done. I didn't know it was a lifelong journey that I would be led to minister to mothers and daughters and their relationship. I just assumed everybody had the same relationship. Well, 25 years fast forward, I realized mothers and daughters have the most interesting relationships and dynamics of the entire family. But I also discovered that those relationships affect the entire family, the energy. It affects the father, the son, the brother. It affects the total being and the energy of the entire family. And as I really dove into this mission that I'm on now, I am still on that mission to help heal families. So with me and my daughter, I have learned as I have interacted with mothers and daughters around the world, how to have a better relationship with my daughter. My, I have one daughter. And of course, I'm sort of duplicating uh, what I was taught. But what I did, I took from where what I thought was a excellent relationship with my mother to the point where I thought I can do better with my daughter because we always looking at something. I don't care what mother and daughter relationship there is. And we're talking about or interacting with everybody's working on their relationship or should be working on their relationship. You should never get to the point where you think, Oh, we have arrived and we are good. And when a mother uh, tells me, Oh, my daughter and I, we're just good. We, we talk every week. That lets me know that there are things that still unsaid and undone. And there may be some un some conversations that is not as honest, but just patronizing the situation to get to the next level. So that's kind of where I am right now. And I enjoy helping mothers and daughters just broaden their view and listen to their intro conversations within their head and how they formulate those conversations and how they can change those conversations to create an honest and loving, trusting relationship with their daughter. But as a grandmother, I tell my clients, mothers and daughters and grandmothers, that once you go through parenting your children, it's a different level of love and, 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 and energy that formulates in a human body that transfer into your grandchildren. You know, we become very possessive and, you know, we can see life differently with those grandchildren. So with the mother and daughter relationship, it's important that you as the mother get along with your daughter, get along with your daughter-in-law because it's only going to affect your grandchildren and you don't want to be cut out. I've seen so many of my clients say, you know what? I'm just going to keep the grandchildren away from them. And what happens? It breaks your heart. It starts a whole trend. And I'll, as we go through the conversations today, I'll share some of the things that I've done to better my relationship with my daughter, my son-in-law, 
so I could have access to my two grandsons when I feel like I want to have access to them. Dr. Bessie, aside from your own personal experiences in raising your daughter and observing relationships of other mothers with their daughters, did you have any other uh, formal training or a, a particular programs that you were involved with or books that you read, other sources of your information that has helped to hone your special knowledge about the mother-daughter relationship? And how do you continue to develop that? Um, oh, yes, I've continued to develop it. Um, I was really developing another concept called Mike, managing your intro conversation. Um, that's, that's my lead in. That's my purpose is to teach people how to manage those conversations in their head. So that, that was the, the, the key that opened the door that led me to where I am now. Before then, I had no prior knowledge. There was an issue between mothers and daughters. Keep in mind, I'm an only girl of a line of boys out of my um, family. So I was the baby of the grands, only girl with my parents. So I wasn't exposed to other people as much. Um, my mother was very close knit as far as not allowing me to go spend nights with different ones. There's very few people I could go over to, to spend the night. So I didn't have those kind of interactions. Um, all of mine came from spiritually being led, just how treat people like you want to be treated, um, knowing how to do the right thing. And then as I started dealing with mothers and daughters and looking at the issues, it's just, it's a very simple answer. It's not difficult. The difficulty come in is when you don't want to forgive. And that's what I tell my clients. If you could just say, I'm going to forgive her for what she said or done and really mean it, that will stop it. It's the antidote to any bad relationship. Then from there, you can build. But no, I came from spiritually being led on how to just look at the relationship even with all the degrees and all of the things that I've learned in psychology, I look back at, okay, what is the loving thing to do? What is the loving thing? I can look at the textbook. I can look at the theories and I can look at um, biblical um, quotings and, and, and do all these things. But in your heart and soul, you know the right thing to do. I tell people, just do the right thing because it's in you. But when you decide not to do the right thing, you know you're not doing the right thing and you're pulling and tugging against your own energy. So you really bringing in all the high blood pressure and, you know, and tension and all of that because you're fighting against the norm. You're fighting against the love energy. Yeah, it makes so much sense, Dr. Bessie. You focused, it sounds to me, on, on three elements so far in our conversation, and that is the importance of honest and loving conversations and forgiveness and staying in tune with your own inner sensibility of what, in fact, is loving, what is the right thing to do. In the course of your counseling, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Great. Uh, uh, now, I'm glad I'm, I'm hearing you accurately. Uh, in the course of your counseling mothers and daughters in all sorts of difficult situations, what are some of the themes that come up, specifically come up most frequently in your experience uh, uh, involving these conversational difficulties and these forgiveness difficulties? Do you have any specific examples that you can point us to yeah. that we could learn from? Yes. One of the main ones, and it's so, it's, it's really it's amazing. It's so simple. But I can say out of 10 mothers and daughters, I can tell you seven of them have the same situation. 
And that is when the daughter comes in and says, she treated my sister or my brother differently. She never loved me. That the mother's like, shock, what? I do love you. No, you don't. You've always allowed my brother to do whatever he want. But when I asked you, you would say no to me. Seven out of 10 mothers and daughters, it would be something that happened when that child was small. And it usually happened between five and eight to 10 years old. They watch you. And once you show a difference between the siblings or do something, just even tell them, say, for instance, if you don't, I'm an only child. If my mother would say to me, yes, Bessie, you could do it. And then she changed her mind. Then I know what? She lied to me. In the back of my mind, I am holding that hostage. She lied to me. So now I'm going to measure everything she says to me from then on because I can't trust her. She might change her mind again. So how do I know that when she says something to me the next time, it's going to be for real or the truth? So I'm going to just reserve myself just in case if she lies. You know, that is the issue. Don't they, they look at it, they get their perspective and everything else is built upon that. Now you don't really realize that she's holding this information back until she gets about 12 or 13 because see 12 or 13, she begins to, she's processed this thing from five to seven on up. She's she's looked at you. She's judged you according to that one action. And she's looking at you and she's seeing you. Say, for instance, I use this story a lot. When um, a mother goes to church or go to an event and she sees Mrs. Jones. Now, she claims she don't like Miss Jones. When she's at home, she, I can't stand Miss Jones. Miss Jones gets on my nerves. Every time I see her, she just, and that's, and then she gets in this event or this, uh, to the church or whatever, and she sees Miss Jones and she's go running up. Hi, Miss Jones, how are you doing? Oh, you look so pretty today. Oh, it's so nice to see you. And now you got a little girl looking at you going, what? She said she didn't like Miss Jones. So they, there's 86,400 seconds in a day. And if you have a small child with you, she is calculating, taking pictures. She is actually organizing in her mind to get to know who is this human being that I'm here on earth with and why is she lying or why is she doing this and saying that? It doesn't really show up until it's about, she's 12 or 13. And then she comes out and says, you know, I'm not doing that. And you said, what did you say? I'm not doing that. And then she tells you, I hate you. You're nothing but a liar. I can't trust you. And you're thinking, well, what in the world? And where did this girl come from? It's a buildup. It's a buildup. So that's 70 to 80% of the cases, something that happened at childhood that they've held on to and they've measured you and they're going to let you know it later. When they feel like they're old enough, they can stand the pressure. They're going to let you know about it. And it grows from there if it's not taken care of. Now, in those specific examples, situations in which uh, the child perceives that the mom treated her differently from her siblings, or her, she perceives that her mom's not being sincere, that she has one face to the public and a different view at, and that she expresses or otherwise 
shows by her body language at home, how can that be repaired when the daughter is a teenager or even more particularly in our situation today, when the daughter herself is a mom and perhaps the grandma sees that the daughter is exhibiting the same behaviors toward her daughter that the grandma in unwittingly and unintentionally was exhibiting toward her daughter, who is now the mom. Grandma can start where she's at. That's what I tell people. Don't worry about the past. Start where you are. You've got to be willing to first admit, oh, wow, that was me. I tell my clients to apologize. Mother, that's the best thing that you can do is to apologize. This is a, this is, I'm just going to take you through an action that we actually do. I will have, once I have a client, the mother and daughter in my office, and when I discover what's going on, I've gotten uh, in my spirit the feel of the action that took place, then I will ask the mother to apologize to her daughter. The first reaction a mother would say to me is, apologize to her for what? I'm the mother. What, What am I apologizing to her for? And it doesn't matter. You don't have to remember one particular thing to say, I apologize for this. No, apologize. I apologize for anything that I've said or done that may have hurt you or gave you a wrong impression of me. Let me just ask you to forgive me. And I guarantee you that daughter will break. She will start crying. She's ready to talk. See, I'm setting you up for the intro conversation. I'm setting you, setting you up for the honest conversation. Because, see, until you apologize, that wall is going to be up. But to break that wall down, to reach the heart of your daughter, you've got to apologize. And mothers, the reason I say you, because you are responsible for that child. It is you that molds and, and, and shapes her temperament. It is how you carry yourself. If you tell your daughter, oh, I bought this, but don't tell your dad, I'm gonna leave it in the car. You're training her to lie. And then when she lies to you, you wanna kill her. So we are responsible for the reactions of our daughter. But now what happens is that when we refuse as mothers to admit that we've done wrong and we know it, you know in your heart, you got a censor but you can see it very clear when it comes to your granddaughter. You can see that that mother, that daughter is repeating because that's all she knows. You train her up to role play the same role that you played. She's going to play that role. She'll try her very best not to be like you. Most daughters come in. I will not be like my mother. I do not want to be like my mother. Not that it's all bad, but it's just, they, you know, they remember you from a little girl. I'm trying hard. Please don't let me be like her. As they grow, she grows right into you saying the same thing, doing the same thing, spanking the child, you know, whatever it is, or loving the child in the same way that you did. But if she does something that you've done in your past, all of a sudden you can see what is wrong. And you want to chastise her for doing the very thing that you did to her. She's only doing what she knows. But you're looking at it from afar. You're not in the mist and you can see. But if you apologize and say, you know what? I apologize for anything I've said or done. 
And nine times out of 10, that daughter's going to say, and I apologize too. You both will probably cry because see, that's, that's that breaking down of that wall. That's what they call the breakthrough. You're breaking that wall down. Now you're getting to a point where you can settle down and your hearts can be open. And now you're getting ready to have that honest conversation. So I have them to hug after this breakthrough and after the cry. What we want to do is connect this energy forces together, have mothers and daughters hug each other, because we want to take you back to that time when you first look into her eyes. When you first looked into her eyes, you saw nothing but love. When the doctor put her in your arms, you looked at her, that love energy just went from her to you. You bond. But somewhere along the line, when she get old, got old enough that she didn't necessarily need you to take, to take her bath or to do certain things, you start talking to her with your back turned. You started talking to her while you were doing other things. And that wasn't the way it was when she was little. When she was three, you would get on your knees and look her in the eyes to say what you wanted to say. And then you would ask her, do you understand what I'm saying to you? And she would say, yes, mommy. Now you have, you got this connection in the eyes. You, you got the bond, you, you know, still, you still bonded, you still connected. But once you start turning your back, once you start talking to her without connecting into her eyes, then you're talking to the wind. You're losing your bond. Now we're getting back to the point where once you've done the honest, uh, the breakthrough, now let's get back to the bond. And that is that hug. Reconnect that bond. You'll feel that energy from your daughter. You can never disconnect from your daughter if you don't see her for 49 years. Spiritually, you're connected. Then we get to the, what I call the three minute conversation timer, get a three minute timer. Each person get a pen and a piece of paper and then one listen while the other one talk. And then I start with the daughter. What is it that you would like to say to your mother? And I make sure it's a safe place for them because I don't want the mother to say, oh yeah, she can say whatever she want to say. And then you're going to fuss at her when you walk out that door. You have to honestly give your pledge that she has the right to say whatever's on her heart and you're going to listen. And once she starts talking, you cannot talk. You have got to listen to her and anything that you think you want to say, you write it down. And when she finished saying what she has to say, then you do what Jerry does with me here. You ask her, now let me make sure I understand what you just said to me. And you read back the statement and then you you tell her what you think. And she says, yes, that's what I said. Okay. Now you turn the three minute timer over and then mother gets to answer that question and say, I didn't know you felt like that. This is what happened. Da, 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 da. She has to write and you're going back and forth. You can, you can chip away from one situation to the other until you get through some of those hidden secrets that is blocking you. Because I'm telling you, mothers and daughters come in and they're not speaking to each other. And I have had mothers and daughters come in, haven't spoken in 40 years. And in two hours, it's like it never happened because they really get to that place. And they and, and half the time, it's a misunderstanding. But until you really get to that place, you'll never know. And I can take you there. Dr. Bessie, thank you so much for that 
elucidation of this very, very pervasive common problem that we have in our communications with our daughters. I have a couple of specific questions about boundaries. I know we hear that term quite frequently from our daughters, and occasionally we think about using that term ourselves when our daughters ask us to do something, and we're not sure whether it's something that's appropriate to be asked of us to do. Supposing uh, a grandma believes which is often the case, that uh, her grandchild's parents are good parents, but grandma's experiences, readings, discussions with other grandparents, and listening to podcasts like Grand Central Radio motivate the grandma to share her experience and knowledge with her daughter and daughter-in-law, but she's afraid that if she does that, if she doesn't do it in the precise words that uh, the daughter will not find judgmental, that the daughter or daughter-in-law will hear those suggestions as criticisms and uninvited advice and then become insecure and defensive and maybe even angry, evening, as you pointed out, sometimes happens, threatening that the grandma won't see the grandchild anymore unless the grandma minds her own business. How can a grandma communicate, share with her daughter and daughter-in-law the benefit of her own knowledge and experience without threatening her daughter in that way and, and achieving that kind of a negative result? Well, first of all, you got to go back to what I just said. You can't skip that part because she's holding something against you. You got to go back to that daughter and apologize. You got to clean the slate, ask her to forgive you. And then you're going to sit down and say, and a daughter-in-law, you know, daughter-in-law you didn't raise. So somewhere along the line, you said something or done something she thought you said or done that she's holding against you. Anybody that's in love and moving in love and unforgiveness will not be offended when you make suggestions. So if they're offended, that means they're holding something against you. They don't trust you. So you got to get to the bottom of that. And that is to clear the air. If it's a daughter-in-law, let's go with a daughter-in-law. Because a lot of times mothers think, well, that's my son and I'm going to communicate with my son. That's my son's children. And the daughter-in-law is just the daughter-in-law. But when you do that, you alienate yourself against your grandchildren. You alienate yourself against having a loving daughter-in-law in your life because sometimes we want to measure, is she good enough for my son? Is she this? Is she that? It doesn't matter. Your son chose her. Maybe we didn't start off right. And you know what? I want to make this right. Let me apologize to you. I'm telling you the doors are open up. You'll be able to get those grandchildren. You'll be able to give advice because now you have just came clean and said, you know what? I just want to open up. I just want to be able to help you with the knowledge that I have. I, like I tell my daughter and my son-in-law, I said, you know what? I'll, I'll teach you from the mistakes that I've made. I'm not trying to tell you about no success. I don't do that with anyone. My success is my success. It's not going to help you at all, but I can teach you from my mistakes. Now, as a grandmother, when I lived in Florida and come to, when I come to North Carolina to my daughter and her son's house, I come in that house as a guest. I don't go into that house asking them why this is here, why you got that over there. That's none of my business. I go to my room, put my stuff down. Even if I want to go to the refrigerator, 
I will say to them, I'm going to get something on the refrigerator. My mother, why do you say that? Because this is not my house. When I get ready to say something to, to my daughter about any situation between her, her husband, or the children, I will say to her, you know what? I want to give you some advice. Now you can take it or you cannot take it, but I'm going to give it to you. And then you decide. And then I, and I said, is that okay? Yes. I will tell her what I think. This is what I saw. This is what I think. And I'm not always on her side because sometimes she's wrong and she's wrong. I'm going to tell her you're wrong. You need to apologize to your husband or you need to change that. But I'm not going to say that in front of her and her husband. I'm going to pull her aside. And if I want to say something to my son-in-law, I do him the same way. Of course, so the relationship that I've had, and they had just celebrated 29 years on Sunday. He has always called me. I don't care. They're better now, of course, over the years. But in the early parts of it, I didn't have to worry about it. He called me when they had an argument or something's going on. But my main focus was I get my grandchildren whenever I want. And I kept my grandchildren every summer for eight weeks when they're out of school. When I bring them back, it's the weekend before school starts. And I didn't have a problem with that. And they trusted me. They knew I would take care of them because I made sure that I kept communication with my son-in-law. See, my daughter, I'm always have communication with. Yeah, but my son-in-law, if they got divorced and he has the kids, then I got a problem. So you got to always think beyond where you are. What happens if it's not about you? It's about your grandchildren. It's about you being able to feed into that next generation and, and help them become a better person. God wants us to make sure we raise up a whole new generation. And you can't do that unless they allow you to contribute in their knowledge. And if they don't believe you, they don't want you to tell their children anything because they don't trust you. Does that make sense, Jerry? It makes a lot of sense. I think what I'm hearing you say, Dr. Bessie, is that if you can establish this trusting and loving relationship and open communication that exhibits mutual respect from the beginning uh, of your trying to rebuild a relationship if you have to, or hopefully early enough that there's nothing that you have to rebuild, then if you want to spend time uh, at, at daughter or son's child's school activity or take care of the children for a few weeks or offer to buy the ch grandchild a gift or do something else that you think might be beneficial to the grandchild, then if you ask the daughter or daughter-in-law for permission to do that, then it will be seen as a respectful request for permission to do that and not an order. What I tell parents is this, put yourself in that in her shoes. When you were raising your children, you didn't want nobody to tell you how to raise your children. You didn't want nobody to tell you or tell your child something without talking to you. Just remember when you was in that situation. See, they don't mind you doing it. But it's like, you can't just override me and go to the child. And that makes all the difference in the world. But when you come and say, is it okay? And another thing I would say is to sit down and work out a plan of action with your daughter, your son-in-law, or your stepdaughter, I mean, your um, daughter-in-law. Work out a plan of action. You know what? I just want to be a part of the child's life. I want to know where the boundaries are. Do I have to do this or do that? You know, and then that way you kind of got a, a, a contract, a, a memorandum of understanding 
of what you can and cannot do. And then anytime you want to do something outside of what you all have agreed to, then you need to go back and negotiate. You know what that's like. You're talking about a, a verbal contract. You're talking about an agreement. And, and only parent grandparents get in trouble is when they go past what they've already agreed to. It says, oh, well, I just decided to do it. No, that is not it. It's not your child. You have to remember, you get the pleasure of being in the child's life because they allow you to. I've had, if you don't mind me telling you a story. No, please. I had um, a family that uh, the lady was 86 years old and her daughter was 57 and her daughter was 32 and her son was nine months old. And this particular family, the father had just passed a couple of weeks and the, uh, they were giving the, the grandmother a hard time. The daughter was giving the, her mother, which is the grandmother, a hard time. But this, we came in, they wanted to do counseling. I've been counseling the daughter, but she had fixation about what she wanted and how her mother let her son just do whatever he wanted to do all his life. And, you know, now she's going to have to take care of her. That's another big issue. When they get 50, 60 years old and the mother's 80 some years old or whatever, they don't want to take care of them. And the reason is like, Dr. Bessie, I don't want to take care of her. She was not good to me. So why do I have to take care of her? You know, because they don't have that bond. They don't have that respect. Now they do it because they don't want to be embarrassed by their friends and their clubs and their societies and all of this. So they do it, but the, the, the elderly person can feel it when they're home. They're not being loved like they're treated out in the street, you know, because I don't want to take care of her. And that energy comes across. So I tell people, get it straight now. Don't wait till you can't, you need someone. But anyway, we were there and, and they brought the mother in. This is like 10 o'clock in the morning. We were there at six in the afternoon. And the reason I let it go on so long was because the 86 year old was trying. She said, I just want to get this right. I just, she said, Dr. Fletcher, I just want to, I don't know why my daughter hates me. And she kept saying the same thing over and over. You let my brother do and this, that, and that. And she said, but I let you do. And it was just a rippling, rippling, rippling. And then her daughter came out and says, well, this is what you do with me and my brother. See, if you look at it, the pattern, it rolls down from generations to generation until someone cut that cord. If you don't cut that cord, then it's going to affect your grandchildren and your grandchildren are going to do the same thing your daughter did. And they're going to do the same thing with theirs to your great grandchildren. And it's a rippling effect. It comes a time when you have to say, you know what? We're going to have to stop this. I'm going to have to save my great, great grandchildren. I cannot let my beliefs ruin my grandchildren. And my relationship, because that granddaughter is watching you, how you relate with her mother. So the young lady said to her mother, you do the same thing. The lady said, well, you won't let me keep my grand. She said, because you don't have a clean house. And they went back. And forth. So um, to make this long story short, she said, but you're keeping my grandson from me. And she said, yeah, I bring him over and I let you see him. But until you clean your house. And until you decide to be a better person to your mother and to me, you will not be able to see your grandson. Never without me. 
but you will not be able to see your grandson. She cried. She didn't listen. And so she said, I came up with a plan for all of them. Uh, well, um, I might. She didn't want to agree, but I might. I might. And so her daughter finally said to her, you know what? I'm tired. It's been a long day. You don't want to honor that plan. If you don't honor that plan, you will not see your grandson. I can promise you that. And they left. Six months later, she called me, accusing me of the reason for not her seeing her grandson. And I said, no, you're not going to put that on me. She told you what she wanted you to do, and you refused to do it. So you made the decision that you didn't want to see your grandchild. So you got to understand it's not your child. She said to you, this is what I need you to do, because I'm going to have to build trust with you. You never raised us. See, here come a privileged family. They had nannies. They were very rich. We don't know you. I need to build a relationship with you. And what I know of you, I cannot leave my son in your hands. And that's where she was. Were they ever able to repair it? Or is it too soon since that conversation to know? Uh, No, this has been a while. I often wondered what happened in that relationship. But the daughter was very adamant. No. Because she said, you ruined me and my brother, and I will not have you spill that over into my son's life. I will protect him from you. You know, trust is a very difficult commodity to develop and to retain. Uh, Another particular problem that we encounter as adults in dealing with trust with people that we love is what secrets that they share with us we can share or should share and which ones we should keep to ourselves. You know, for example, if a grandchild tells grandma the child grandchild's secret in confidence, but the secret doesn't involve a threat to the grandchild, are there circumstances under which the grandma should or should not share that child's secret with her daughter or daughter-in-law, the grandchild's mom? Well, I look at it like this. With my grandchildren, when my daughter and her husband, <laughs> that first year was something. She didn't, they didn't have the child about two or three years later. But when they were little, they would, you know, I told them, I said, you know what? I am the person that you can come to. Whenever you feel that you can't talk to your mother or your father, if you feel that they are not understanding what you say, I'm the person that you come to. You don't go to anyone else in the street. You don't go to your friends. You come to Nene. I'm I'm your Nene. And this is your safe haven. And whatever you tell me stays with Nene. And that's what I did. Because if you break that, then where do they go? If Nana breaks that promise and go tell mama, you can forget it. You are now in the same basket. She can't trust you. Now, if it's life-threatening, you got to figure out a way to figure out how to get that across. But you got to go through the little girl. You got to go through her. You can't skip over her. You got to say to her, like, you know, I know what you're saying, but we're going to have to figure out a way to get this message to your mother. But I'm going to need you and help you to do that. Because she's going to have to know I got somebody I can go to and somebody I can trust. And I tell them nothing is more greater than to have a good grandmother. I talk about my grandmother to this day and she died when I was six, but I remember her. We, you know, we did things together. 
My, I tell them I work for being the best grandmother of the year. And to this day, my oldest grandson is 25. My youngest one is 22. And I'm telling you, they come sit in this house with me on a Friday night, bring their friends. Nana, what you doing? We're going to come over and hang out with you because they like me. We go on vacations together still to this day, cruising, just the three of us, because they like me. I built that relationship. That was important to me. So no, do not tell anything they tell you. You have to figure out a way, pray on it to see how can we get this across. Now, I grant you, there are certain things that they've said, and I watched the situation to see what I saw. And from that perspective, I would ask my daughter, hmm, why would you do it that way, baby? Oh, well, you know, so, so, so. Oh, okay. Can I give you a suggestion? Yeah. And then I'll, I'll go from a third party perspective. But never would I say that they tell me, because they told me some stuff. (laughs) So I couldn't go back and tell it. What would you do, Dr. Bessie, if a secret that your grandchild told you somehow made its way to the mom or the the mom, whether it's the daughter or daughter-in-law, and that mom then confronts you and asks you, did you know? How would you communicate with uh, the child's mom uh, what you did or did not know and when you knew it uh, and decide whether or not it's something that you're daughter or daughter-in-law needs to know about and maintain a strong, trusting, respectful relationship with uh, that child's mom? Well, the first thing I would tell her if if she asked me, I said, well, you know what? I'm not going to lie to you. I want you to know that because I would not lie. I'm not going to lie to you. But before I answer your question, let me say this. Trust is a key element in any relationship. So, if you ask me to break a trust, then that would break the relationship between me and my granddaughter. So I'd rather, as they could say, take the fifth. I'd rather just not say if I know, I don't know. But if you want to tell me and then ask me a question about it, then you told me. Don't ask me if my granddaughter told me. You tell me what you're talking about and then we can have a discussion. Have you seen that technique in action? Uh, have the mother, either you or other mothers that you know, been able to communicate a, uh, you know, that uh, they're open to discussing a grandchild's problem without disclosing whether or not you knew about it in advance of that discussion, and uh, that uh, discussion has resulted in a successful, respectful, calm <laughs> conversation between the mom and the grandma? Well, I've seen it, and it elevated like you wouldn't believe. Because the daughter's like, uh, you knew and you didn't say anything and, you know, da, 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 and you just kept it. And, you know, and it got into a really big argument. But what I was saying to the person is that if she came to you and told you, you would think less of her because your daughter went and told her something in secret. That's a grandmother. So it would affect how you feel about her. She told her, and then she turned right around and told it. 
then that means I can't tell her anything. See, is see what you're doing is she's setting you up to see if she can trust you. So if I told you, then you're not going to trust me. So that puts me in a peculiar situation. I love both of you. Now what we can do, the three of us can sit down and have an honest conversation. Are you willing to do that? So you got to bring her into the table to the table. Bring her in on that three minute t- conversation. What is it that you think she told me? And then she can ask her daughter, did you tell your grandmother? And the daughter gets to say whether she did or not. Don't take the role yourself. Give the role back to them because you're the third party. So this is involving the two of them. And nine times out of 10, we got to find somebody that we can see. We got the bats. It's a tennis match. Or let's say the, 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 the rackets. But we need a ball. So let's put Jerry in there as the ball. So we're going to hit her back and forth. You don't want to be the ball. At least not without a helmet. <laughs> I think on that note, Dr. Bessie, we could go on for hours because there are endless questions in this arena. But I'd like to invite our other grandma guests to ask Dr. Bessie your questions and share your ideas about relationships between grandmothers and their daughters and daughters-in-law. First, we'll start with Amy in Hawthorne, New Jersey. Amy, welcome to Grand Central Radio. Thank you, Jerry. This is so informative. Thank you, Dr. Bessie. I've learned a few things. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have a wonderful relationship with my daughter and grandchildren. My grandson is nine, granddaughter is eight. And we see them just about every day. Um, The one subject we differ on, my daughter and I differ on, (laughs) is our political views, which I won't get into. And her ex-husband has the same political views as she does. So I try not to say anything one way or another to influence the children. But I'm just wondering if you think that's a good thing or should we handle this particular subject differently? I would leave that alone. That is so unimportant in the scope of things. What somebody political views or, or spiritual views. I don't get into politics or religion in conversations. That's the one thing to break up a, a relationship with a family real quick. Let them have that's It's okay. Let them have their political views and just stay out of that arena. Okay. The children don't need to know anything. They eight, nine. What do they need to know about political? Just let them have that. It has nothing to do with you. It's just like the, the pink elephant in the corner of the room. <laughs> it's there and you walk right past it because it doesn't matter. You want to say something, offend them, and then all of a sudden now you can't see your grandchildren about a political view? I don't think so. Okay. Thank you. Does that make sense to you? Yes. No, it's yeah. not important. It's not because you know what? People change. It'll be this person today. Next week, they got somebody else. Next year, they got somebody else. And then what? Now you ain't talking to your daughter. And that person that you're talking about ain't even in office anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Amy, I know you're a very experienced grandma. Uh, we've met in person a number of times. I wonder what your experience has been with the issue of grandchildren's secrets. Have you had that experience with your grandchildren? And if so, how have you handled it? And and what did you find worked and didn't work? Uh, neither one of them have um, come to me with a secret. I did tell them, though, that if there was something that they need, someone they needed to talk to, 
you know, other than their mother and father, uh, you know, if they wanted to talk to me or grandpa, you know, we would be uh, available and listen to them and try to help them. Um, but the, the secrets we never do, uh, you know, don't, don't tell this one or don't tell that one. Uh, I did tell them though, that if somebody ever says to you, don't tell your mother or your father, don't tell someone, you know, who you, uh, love in your immediate family, then it's probably not a good thing. And you need to say something because, you know, I don't know at eight and nine what they're being told not to say, not to tell us. So that's why I encouraged that, you know, to have them feel free to come to us with anything. That's very good. And, and they understand that you, you're not going to share that information with their parents uh, unless uh, you do it in an indirect way, as Dr. Bessie suggested, that if the parent comes to them with a problem, you might say, uh, I don't can't say whether I know or I don't know, but let's discuss the focus on the problem and not whether or not I knew anything about it in advance. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Okay. Well, thank you. Do you have any other suggestions or, or ideas or questions for Dr. Bessie, Amy? No, no, Jerry. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. I think now we'll turn to Constance in New York City. Uh, Connie, what have you been thinking? Thank you so much for the opportunity. And Dr. Bessie, thank you so much for your knowledge and your stories. You're welcome. I have a couple of questions. Um, I am one of four children. So I was the eldest and uh, I had a sister. So there were two two girls. I was very close to my mother also. Sounds like a similar relationship that you had, Dr. Bessie. And the teenage years for my sister were a little bit more challenging. And um, so I'm wondering, number one, if you found that when there are multiple girls in a family, multiple daughters, if that happens often, um, the roles are a little bit uh, different. And the second thing is that, um, do you find that some mother-daughter temperaments uh, make it more difficult, more challenging to have a close relationship? I have one daughter, thank God, we have a wonderful relationship, but we're very different in temperament. And um, it's interesting because I think that um, sometimes, for example, I think this generation of daughters are much more outspoken. They're much, I I can't tell you how how loving, but at the same time, different generation, we were much more reticent about uh, speaking up on certain things or even, uh, you know, quote, disobeying or, you know, growing up, I'm talking about now teenage relationships and going older. And then as you get, and then as parents, um, our daughters who were reared by us to be very strong, definitely have, you know, their own opinions. I find that um, my daughter as a mother is very, very close to her kids and they would, there's nothing that they couldn't go to her with. So I've never had the, you know, to, to answer your question, Jerry, regarding secrets, there's never been a secret that they've come to me with that they wouldn't go to her. And I know they talk to her about everything, which is a, a wonderful thing if, if that can be. Um, but anyway, g- getting back to do you th- to the two questions. Number one, have you found a difference when there are multiple daughters? And number two, do you find that differences in temperament and personality make um, the relationship sometimes more challenging? 
it brings back so many mother and daughters that have sat in front of me. Um, jealousy, competition, watching, measuring. See, you're the oldest one. You were there first. And so therefore, there was a bond that you all had. And so here comes the second daughter and she's growing up and the mother is so used to doing certain things with you because that was the uh, pattern that you all had in the relationship that you had trying to figure how she can fit in. So she's saying in herself, she loves her better than she loves me. And once she get that in her mind, then she's going to act out because I need you to watch me. I'm over here. Hello, I'm over here. You're watching her, watch me. So I'm going to do something to get your attention. A lot of times that's the reaction. One wants to compete for the love of the mother and it gets to be competition. And so it looks like she's having a difficult relationship with, with your mother, but she's only fighting for her share of the love. Children fight for their share of the love. I had a gentleman, I had a, a mother and daughter workshop and uh, a bunch of them worked for the state and they went back on that Monday morning and he called me later that afternoon. This was their supervisor. And he said, Dr. Fletcher, he said, I don't know what happened on Saturday, but these women around here buzzing about how their relationship have changed with their daughters. And I was sitting here thinking, well, what can I do? I'm going to call and see if she can help me. I have four girls and a wife. I can't get a one second to myself. I can't watch. He said, I love golf. But it's just like every time you tell one come, the other comes. Somebody come, daddy, he said, I can't even watch a golf game. And I just wonder if you had some advice for me. And so I thought about it, mentally prayed on it. And, and it came up in my spirit, give them all a date. Give them a date time. He said, a date time? I said, yeah, you have four girls. Give them an hour a week. You all agree on the hour. Tell your wife, maybe after nine o'clock, I'm all yours. But seven o'clock on Monday, I'm with Nancy. On, on um. Tuesday, five o'clock, I'm with the other one. You know, set the times that you know you can keep. And they know I got this date with my dad. You can do it with your daughters. I got this date with my daughter. So now they don't have to fight for competition. They don't have to. I said, you're the prize. Everybody wants to get to you. They're trying to get as much of you as they possibly can. Because women, you know, we all women, so we need you just happen to be the male. So you, we're going to gravitate to. He did that. Do you know a couple of weeks he called me? He said, you know what? I got too much time on my hand. No, <laughs> because they left them alone because I know I'll be with daddy on Wednesday. And so when you do that, we push quality time in our organization. And that's that date time. You can do that with each one of your grandchildren. See, we try to treat them all the same. You can't treat them all the same. They're different personalities. But so you know what? We're going to just spend an hour together. We're going on a date. And then you tell your grandson, we're going to spend an hour together. We're going on a date. They are just going to love that. And they won't fight. They won't get jealous because they know what? I get my date on Saturday. You get your date on Friday. 
And then we all come together Sunday, Sunday dinner, and everybody's cool because what? I'm getting what I need for my Nana. And it's just all about us. No phones, no nothing. You just go into their world. What is it that you want to do? I'm here to listen, to do whatever you want to do. I'm telling you, creating a wonderland. And then your daughter get jealous and your daughter get jealous and she'll be like, well, I, you know, I need some time too. Well, then, you know, we can do this. You see how the bond will happen? Yeah, I, I to that point, I, I definitely did that years and years when the kids were little and I have six grandkids and they're all wonderful. And I think I have a great loving relationship with all of them. They're all different. And I had all of them. And then I had like all of them from each family separate. And then we started to do individual things too. And I think that made such a difference because for all the reasons you said so eloquently. Well, you know, and then they will remember you. And that's where it takes us to your daughter. Of course, she's different. God never made two people the same. She's going to be just the opposite of you in a lot of ways because she's got part of you and she's got part of her dad and then whoever she's going to create from the world. See, so she's got three parts that she's dealing with. I call them the three selves. She's got part of you and your personality. You might say, well, she's just like me, you know, on, on the quiet side, but she's feisty like a dad. And she's trying to pull out of that cocoon to be like her friends and what the world say. I want to be like Britney Spears and I want to dance and I want to sing and my talents. What? Who am I? So your job is just to be there for her. Watch her talents. Enhance those talents. My grandson, well, the oldest one, when he was little, loved bugs. He just loved bugs and and just the, they were in the woods and animals. And, and I knew he was going to be a veterinarian. And I, when he got older, I would take him. He was nine years old. He did an internship at a vet's office. You name it, that boy got to do it. Because what I did is I watched. What is it that I see? And then you you feed that. And you can't do that when you put them all together in a lump. My youngest grandson, I noticed he was a musician. So at Christmas and holidays and birthdays or whenever I felt like it, I gave him instruments. He ended up playing the drum, the guitar, the piano, and he played by ear. So I noticed that's what he wanted to do. So when you're looking at your daughter, look at the talents that you see and just say to her, you know what? I noticed that you're a pretty good dancer. Is that something that you're interested in? Yes. I think you're very good. Let's see what we can do about that. Because you are the parent. Notice what their talents are. And I'm telling you, she will just, you you will just connect in such a way because she may have think, thought that, well, I like dancing, but I don't know if I'm good enough, or I like this. You know, I saw my daughter, and I knew my daughter was a writer. And I told her, her teacher told her when she was little, oh, Angela, you know, you're not going to be good as a writer because you don't write well. Of course, I told the teacher, you don't get to say that to my daughter. You don't get to define who she is. As she grew up, I said, you are a good writer. She became the editor of the school's newspaper. Now she published books and wrote an author of a book. Had she listened to this lady, she may not have ever written anything. Absolutely. My daughter is, uh, I've always believed in all of my children finding their talents and, and they're extremely 
talented and, and bright. And that's our job to discover their talents and help them grow it. What I, what I was saying is that temperamentally, I think people are different. And I, I think your idea of the three minutes is a very good idea because temperamentally everybody there's not always a match and you, you know some children are easier than others and i mean thank god my daughter is grown and and is a wonderful mother she's very successful in her field has always been and i think we have a wonderful relationship she'd say it and recently it was called you know to do it it was an interesting thing i i i had a very uh, bad accident and um, she was the first one here and she just dropped her whole life and, and stayed six days. And just I never asked her. I would never ask her because I know the challenges. But I think, you know, showing appreciation, I think that's a huge thing. Can't say thank you enough. And and the idea of celebrating their talents, even when they're adults, because I think you never we never outgrow our need for for appreciation. That's true. That's true. A little thank you and a little love and a hug is a good, good recipe for long, loving relationships. So I think, you know, just look at it and, and say, you know what? Look at who, who God sent through me. Look how good that talent she is. I tell my daughter all the time, you're so smart. Man, I said, you are so smart. You are so creative. I'm like, look at you, little Bessie Mae. You know, <laughs> And we laugh about it. Keep going because I can see her. She's just a rep, rep, a reproduction of me and with a greater, you know what I mean? She done took it to another level. And I can see that. She took what I gave her and then she just enhanced it. And 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 we can see that in our daughters and appreciate that. Then we won't try to change them or re-raise them. It's when you try to re-raise the daughter and or try to change her, that's when you run into difficulties. She's grown now and she's not a child. I go into my daughter's house and I look at her and I talk to her as a grown woman. I don't talk to her as my daughter. I talk to her as a grown woman that now has a grandchild. And so it makes me a great grandmother and he is the apple of our eyes. So, you know, that's the way you have to do it. She's an adult now. Thank you, Constance, for all of that uh, background and your own personal experience. Do you have any other questions for Dr. Fletcher? No, I don't, but thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Constance. Well, then I think now we'll turn to Sylvia in San Francisco. Uh, Sylvia, what are your thoughts and ideas and questions? I'd just like to, to say I thought what Dr. Fletcher said about giving advice to your daughter or your daughter-in-law. He emphasized one thing that I thought was so helpful is that if you're going to give advice, first ask if your daughter would like some advice about I've got two daughters, each of them raising a family, and it's their—it's the mother's job to figure it out. I would never cross what my daughter's, whatever approach my daughter takes. It's her job. Just like to tell a little story about my mother-in-law when I was raising my kids. She—I'm sure that there were times when what I was doing was not what, the way she would have done it. But she never once criticized me or said, you're doing it wrong. She just bit her tongue. And I was so grateful for all, over all the years I was raising my kids. Her name is Grandma Jean. She just, she just had a fine sense of not ever criticizing what I did. And I knew she had different ideas, but she bit her tongue. And I was always grateful to that. I said that to her, you know, 
be, recently before she died, I said, I always appreciated that. She let me make my own mistakes. She let me be in charge. On the subject of secrets, secrets, I think that's a really delicate thing. If your if your grandchild says, oh, I'm planning a special event for my mother's birthday, well, of course, that's a secret you're going to take. That's controversial. But um, if there's something that you it's at all um, questionable, maybe it's not good to keep a secret. That's a very delicate thing. Maybe don't tell me anything you don't want me to tell your mother because I won't jeopardize your mother's uh, position as a person that ultimately has to make the final call. Well, you know, it's a delicate situation. But if you say to them, don't tell me anything that you don't want me to tell your mother. Think about you got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. And she's thinking, I love my grandmother. It might be the one thing that you need to hear. But if you say no, then one day she really want to tell you something. She's not going to tell you. It's not a yes or no kind of a situation. It's wisdom. As grandparents, we have to use wisdom. We've seen, we've done. We've made the mistakes, but now you're in a position of wisdom. You don't want to close the door. Like some mothers say, once you leave this house, you cannot come back here. You own your own. She gets out there and she realizes, oh Lord, I don't like this, but I can't go back home. She told me I can. You do not want to close the door for your children, your grandchildren, great-grandchildren. You don't want to close the door. My daughter got married. I said, that key on your ring opens this door. That room is your room. You can come in. You don't have to tell me what happened. You don't have to give me an explanation. Turn that lock, come in and go to your room. And when you want to talk, we'll talk. And by golly, I tell you, she has, when they got married that year, two o'clock in the morning, that door would open. I go, oh, Lord. But I didn't say nothing. You okay? Yes, you want to talk? No. Go in her room, close the door. 10, 15 minutes later, my son-in-law come. There we go. But I never, she always had, my mother did that to me. You don't have, and she is the way she put it to me, you don't have to work for anybody. You have a home, you got land. You never put yourself in a compromising position. That's good in a way, and it's bad. Because I when in the beginning, I would just, if they didn't, I didn't like the way somebody treat me on the job. I just quit the job because I'm like, I don't have to work. I got a place to stay. Never went back home. I had to realize what my mother meant by that. And so we don't want to cut off our grandchildren. They, you just don't know what they, what they're going through. They're our children, but we don't know how they treating those grandchildren. We don't know, um, if all is well. We see what we see, but we have, each of us on here have identified that we have good relationship with our children, good relationship with our grandchildren, but this is not the norm. There are some children that's living in hell in their household. They're being beaten. They're not being fed. They're not being treated fairly. You just want them to know I'm here and whatever it is, you can tell me. And then you're going to have to use wisdom 
to deal with it from that point on. I think you're exactly right, Dr. Fletcher. You just have to judge each situation and, and make the best, uh, best call you can. Being a grandparent ain't easy. <laughs> Dr. Bessie, I'm glad that you focused on some of the very difficult problems with secrets. Based on your experience over the years, you've worked with some very difficult family situations. Children involved with drugs, young women getting pregnant out of wedlock. How have you worked with those grandparents and those children in conveying the information that they must convey to whomever they must convey it in order to protect themselves without jeopardizing the trust relationship that they built with the grandma or with the parent? Well, I tell my clients, I'm a straightforward person here. Uh, when you come in here, you don't come in here to lie. First of all, that's the first thing. If you're going to lie, then we're going to end the session because I can't help you. But when you come in here, we're going to have an honest conversation. Everybody's going to speak their truth because otherwise change will not come. A lie will not bring about freedom. So are you willing to do that? I got to get an agreement. And then we're going to talk about it. I'm straightforward. I don't cut the corners. I tell a mother, then you're wrong. I won't tell her that in front of her child. But I will have that conversation if I have to tell her, let's step on the outside for a moment. And I'm going to tell her, you're wrong. And this is what I see. Because usually, you know, I'm ordained to do this. So I have spiritual wisdom that I share with them. And then we're going to come up with a plan of action how we can correct it. And then we work our sessions according to those plan of actions. I don't just going to sit there and let you come each week and talk to me. No, we're going to have a plan of actions to where the problem is and how do we resolve it. And then we're going to come back in agreement that mother and daughter is going to agree on certain things that they're going to do when they leave and they have homework to do that we work on these issues. Sometimes I have to have the mother as a separate counseling session because we have to deal with those issues. I always, I bring them together. I pull them apart. I have the daughter. She's going to tell me her side. I don't let the mother come in and tell me, well, Dr. Fletcher, you know, she, uh, 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 I stop him. No, don't tell me who she is. I don't want you to do that. And she's not going to tell me who you are. But what we're going to do, we're going to look at the situation together. We're going to discover what issues that each of you think is playing the biggest role in your relationship right now. And then I'm going to have a session with your daughter and I want to hear what she has to say without you. And then I'm going to have a session with you. Then I'm going to use wisdom as to what I see the issue may be when I bring them back together. And that's how we approach it. That's been a fabulous discussion. Thank all of you for your participation. The takeaways are the importance of honest and loving intra-conversations and conversations between grandmothers and daughters and daughters-in-law and between parents and their children. Substantial focus on eye contact. Confirming that others in the conversation understand what you think you said, so each of you starts on the same page on what each of you intends to say before you share your thoughts about the conversation subject. Establishing a mutual sense of truth and sincerity to develop mutual trust that each participant is devoted to resolving the issue discussed without distraction by incidents 
or statements of any participant in the past. Admitting your own failings discovered from the luxury of being able to look back over a period of time of your own conduct and statements and being able, in retrospect, to understand those actions and words more clearly in context. Trying to develop a clean slate for future conversations by apologizing generally for anything you may have said or done that might have hurt the other person or gave the other person an impression of you that you did not intend to give. Asking for forgiveness from the other person, ending the conversation with a warm, sincere thank you and a big hug. Having this conversation in a risk-free, private space where all participants can feel confident that whatever they say or do will never be used against them in conversations with you or in your conversations with others. Show mutual respect by respecting one another and each other's home, respecting each other's viewpoint, right to full listening attention of the other person, and right to express herself freely and fully without interruption. Using Dr. Bessie's tool of the three-minute open conversation, having paper and pencil in front of each participant to write down ideas and responses to the other participant without interrupting the free flow of her conversation, and asking permission before giving advice. Avoiding discussions of politics and religion, as we try to do in this podcast series, to eliminate unnecessary divisiveness. Stick to the points most important to everyone, the relationships between you and the other person and with your grandchildren. Scheduling quality date time, not only with your grandchildren, but also with your own children. Alone time used to share information and feelings that you and they may feel uncomfortable sharing in the presence of others. And to give everyone the sense that she receives the amount of love, attention, trust, sincerity, and respect to which they're entitled. And incorporating all of these concepts in an action plan developed by all of the parties to the conversation, daughter, daughter-in-law, grandma, and perhaps even some of the older grandchildren, setting boundaries, stating understandings about how and what kinds of information will be shared, a kind of verbal contract. I encourage everyone to listen to Dr. Bessie's podcasts, Mother and Daughter Roundtable, and to read and think further about the relationships between grandmothers and their daughters and daughters-in-law. Thank you to our special guest, Dr. Bessie Fletcher, and all of our grandparent callers and listeners. Watch for our announcements of our next Grand Central Radio show. Our podcasts are posted to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Blueberry, iHeart, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and our secure website, GrandCentralRadio.com. Until then, please contact me, Jerry Cole. Stay well, safe, and secure, and happy grandparenting! <laughs>